Thank you, worship team. Well, uh, before we begin our second sermon in the two-week series called The Two Sons, The Tale of Two Sons, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can gather here, whether we are online or in person. We ask, Lord, for your blessing. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us. That as we open up your word, that we will expect to meet with you. That we will allow your spirit to convince and convict us of the truth that is written in your word. I pray that today we will seek transformation, not just information. I pray that as we have seen the tale of two sons and we saw ourselves in the younger son, may we see ourselves in the elder son as well. And may we be convinced of our need for you in your name. Amen. So the tale of two sons, as we have seen last week and now this week, is the story of the prodigal son in the book of Luke. And we've looked at the father and the younger son last week as Pastor Mike really expounded well upon the view of the younger son and the relationship he had with the father. Today we're going to be looking at the elder son as well. And let me share with you that as I was studying for this, one book in particular, two books really struck me, but one book in particular called The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. If you've never read it, I fully believe it's his best book. Many people believe it's reason for God, but people call him the modern-day C.S. Lewis. And this book really informed my passion for this story. Now, I had studied it and read it before, and I love what all kinds of commentators have said. And, and a lot of it lines up with what Timothy Keller said. But in his book, Prodigal God, there was just something about how he approached the elder brother that was really remarkable. And so a lot of the things that I'm going to bring today come from his point of view and as well as other commentators. But I wanted to share with you that if you've never read that book, you really should read that book. It's not long, it's pretty short, and, and I think it'd be a good devotional material for you as you study this story even more in depth. Well, with that said, this idea of the tale of two sons is, is one of those passionate stories for me as I have seen myself in the younger brother, but more so in the elder brother. I have seen myself in the elder brother. Let me share with you a quick story of something that's happened in my life. And every time I talk about the past in my family, I must always remind you that God has done a redemptive work. And so when I share with you some of the things that have happened in my past with my mom and my dad and the divorce that transpired and the stepfathers that I've had in my life, just remember in view that God has redeemed it all. And my mom and my siblings and my father and myself were all walking with the Lord. I just put that caveat in there. Well, at one point in time, my mom was married to a Jehovah's Witness. And if you don't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they are a cult that say they're Christians, but they're not. It's similar to Mormonism. It, it is a cult, and it's a dangerous cult. In this cult, as the Jehovah's Witness, I learned to understand, there's this constant barrage of misinformation that comes from the scriptures, and there's also misinterpretations. And my father, or my stepfather, and I did not get along at all. 
there was always this kind of butting of heads because I was, you know, passionate about the Lord as a sixth and seventh grader. I was into Bible quizzing. I was reading the truth of the Bible, and he and I continued to, to butt heads. And there was this one thing that really, really frustrated me about the Jehovah's Witness cult, and that was that women were not allowed to pray aloud ever. They were never allowed to pray aloud, whether they were with women, children, or men. They were never, ever allowed to pray aloud. Well, that frustrated me because I had grown up in the ministry. You know, my father is a minister and my mom would pray often. And so every time we'd get to a meal, when I was at his house, I would say, "Ah, you know what, I'm not going to eat until my mom prays. I'm not eating a bite until my mom prays. And I was stubborn. And I waited until my mom would pray. Finally, she would say something really quickly, look embarrassed, and I'd be like, all right, now I can eat. But it was the sense of trying to offend my stepfather. I wanted him to be offended because I was offended by him and a lot of the things that he said. Now, the way I went about that was unrighteous. The way I went about that was wrong. It had wrong motives. But we're going to look at this story and recognize that Jesus tells this parable purposefully to offend the Pharisees. Everything in this story offends the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had a righteous reason to do it. Jesus was righteous where I was unrighteous in his approach of trying to offend the Pharisees. But you must have a frame of reference understanding that the people that he is talking to, majority are the Pharisees, and he's putting them in this story. And everything that he said would have made them mad. And I'll explain that in a moment, but we must understand that the Father often offends us with a desire to draw us back to himself. Jesus was offending the Pharisees, hoping that they would see their fallacy, knowing that they wouldn't, but hoping to offend them to a place where they would recognize who they were in the story and the changes with which they needed to make in their lives in order to come close to the Lord again. He was offending them for the purpose of drawing them back to himself. And sometimes we will see that in the scripture where we are offended and we sense the Holy Spirit challenging us and calling us out and offending our being or our freedoms or our feelings of entitlement. And it's not to berate you and beat you over the head or punch you in the face. It's a desire to draw you back recognizing the things that are hindering you. Now, we'll know that the the Pharisees got even more upset and they decided to continue towards their, their hate of Jesus that led to his ultimate death. Again, he knew that that would transpire, but he was offending them, hoping that they would come back into relationship, but they did not. And one of the things that I want us to see As we unpack this story, as we dig into the elder brother and his response and what his whole life seemed to be about, we must remember that just like the Pharisees, just like the elder brother, you and I can live this way as well. We can live the way the elder brother lived. And I would say that those of us who have grown up in the church, it's a lot easier for us to be the elder brother often, more often than it is for us to be the younger brother. We could look back at our past and say, oh yeah, I was the younger brother, God redeemed me, God brought me back into fellowship, and we kind of ignore the elder brother. In fact, when, when, they, when the commentators talk about this, or when the translators translate in the scripture, they always call it the prodigal son talking about the younger son. But it should be the tale of two lost sons because both sons were equally lost. And that's something that we need to recognize, that they were equally lost. And we must reject our inner elder brother. 
So that leads us to the question that we're going to answer today that I believe the scripture answers, and that's this. How do we avoid being the flawed elder brother? If the elder brother is flawed and we are to seek to not be the elder brother, as Jesus was hoping to get the Pharisees to see, we can see what Jesus is saying in this parable for us on how you and I cannot be or how we can reject being, avoid being the flawed elder brother. So I'm going to read Luke 15, 20 through 32. It starts in verse 11, but we're going to jump right into the middle of the story so we can look at the elder brother a little bit closer. Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 32. And he arose, that's the younger brother, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the elder brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, like I said, this whole story was offensive to the Pharisees because every aspect of the story from the son asking for his father's wealth to all of that, the, the, the derelict living that he had to his coming back and the father's response of lifting up his robes and running to his son and kissing him and putting a ring on his finger, all of this would have been offensive because none of that should have happened. This son should have been stoned. The moment he left, looked at his father and said, I wish you were dead, the father had the legal right to stone his son. But he gives him what he asked for and he sends him on his way. And the son comes back after spending all of the money on things that they knew were sinful. He spent time with pigs and, and wanted their food. He was so lost and so lonely. And so the, the Pharisees are offended by the father's response. They would have already been feeling like the older brother, like how dare that son do this? How dare that father do that? He embarrassed himself. Why would he do such a thing? And so by the time the elder brother comes along in the story, they're feeling the same thing that the elder brother is feeling. And they're probably saying, yes, yes, this is where it's going to come about, where the elder brother is going to just tear this whole thing apart just like he should. 
But Jesus tells the story to show them that the old elder brother was just as lost as the younger brother. And he leaves the story open to show that the, the elder brother still had not gone back into relationship with the father. He was still standing outside, not close to the father. And the, the, the insinuation was this, Pharisees, is who you are. So if this is a story to challenge us to not be the elder brother, what are the keys? How do we avoid being the flawed elder brother? I believe there are six keys. And the first key is the key of release. Because we are to release self-righteous anger. It says that the elder brother was angry. And the Greek word here for anger is orgizo. And it means furious and full of anger. That Greek word, orgizo, he is so angry. It's like he's seeing red. He's so frustrated. He probably wants to punch someone, most likely his younger brother or his father. He is filled with this self-righteous rage. How dare this happen? How dare our father do this? How could he possibly not Love me the way he's loving him. How can he possibly take away some of my funds, some of my estate, and put it into this worthless son, this worthless person? You see, he's probably afraid now that the son came back and he has this celebration and the ring is put back on his son's, on, on his brother's finger. He's probably worried about his financial future. He's saying, okay, now he's brought back into fellowship. Now he's brought back into this place. He's now again going to get another third of what is mine. And there goes the fatted calf. That is the biggest celebration that my father has ever thrown. It's a waste of my money. It's a waste of my estate. So he looks at this with derision and anger and frustration. But he completely misses the grace and love that his father is lavishing upon the younger son. He feels mistreated, wrong, and fearful. He was blind to grace. And the same is true for us because self-righteous anger blinds us to the grace and love of the Father. Self-righteous anger blinds us to the grace and the love of the Father. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, the first sign you have an elder brother's spirit is that when your life doesn't go as you want... You aren't just sorrowful, but deeply angry and bitter. The elder brother was standing outside saying, I deserve better. I deserve better than what I've received, and I deserve better than what that son of his is receiving now. I've never had that, and that fool of a brother is getting that type of celebration. He'd missed the grace and love of his father. He missed this beautiful moment as his father ran to the younger son. He didn't even allow himself to see it because he was self-righteous. He believed he deserved better. The second key to avoid being the flawed elder brother then is a key of acceptance. We are to accept the father's call to join the party. Had he let go of his self-righteous anger, had he let go of this blindedness to the grace that the father was offering the younger son, he would have accepted the father's invitation. 
He probably wouldn't have even stepped outside with his anger or frustration had he seen the grace and the mercy and the beauty of what just happened. Because no son should deserve that type of lavish love, yet this father has given it to him. And he looks at his father and he is very rude with how he responds. But the Greek word here that we understand for the father coming to the son, for the, in the ESV it's translated as entreat, is parakaleo, and it means to strongly urge or even plead with. Now the son is offending the father in a very, very stark way. This elder son is not, not as offensive as the younger brother, but he's being very offensive. He's publicly displaying his mistrust in his father's judgment. He's standing outside saying, my dad is a fool. My dad is an idiot. I'm going to stay here and show him how wrong he actually is. This is the biggest celebration that his father would have ever thrown. But he is out there being a sorrowful, angry, bitter person. Mocking his father's decisions and choices. But the father comes to him. Just as the father ran to the younger son, the father runs to the elder son. And that word that I had said, parakaleo, is this deep entreating. It was pleading. He was coming to his son saying, please, please come into the party. He could have been angry and said, you're offending me. Get out of here. Yeah, I'm glad you're not joining the party. But he said, please come. And there's this sense that he asked more than once. That he was asking his son, please, let go of your self-righteous anger. See the grace and the love that I provided for your brother and the grace and the love that I'm providing for you right now by coming to you. But the elder son completely misses his own graceful moment as well. He does not accept the father's invitation. He's very rude to his father as he responds as well because he feels he deserves better but he doesn't. We don't. The third key to avoiding the flawed elder brother is the key of cancellation. Because we are to cancel the competitive comparison that corrupts relational connection. Cancel the competitive comparison that corrupts relational connection. Now we, we talk a lot about cancel culture these days. We use that phrase. It's been all over the place. Cancel culture. Well, if there's something we are to cancel, it's to cancel our competitive comparison. Because here's what was happening in this moment that caused such anger, such bitterness, such frustration from this elder brother is that he was looking at his younger brother and comparing himself and saying, I am such a better son. How dare you love him? the way you should love me. How dare you love him more, it seems, than you love me. I've done so much for you. I've worked so hard for you. And you don't do anything for me. But you do everything for him. Timothy Keller says, competitive comparison is the main way elder brothers achieve a sense of their own significance. He feels significant because of his goodness. 
He feels significant and better than his younger brother because of how hard he has worked for his father. He compares his hard work to his younger brother's lackadaisical living, sinful life, prostituting all of the estate that was given. And he stands in derision and in hate, and he says, how could you, a man who I thought to be wise, be such a fool? Look at how great I am compared to your other son. He assumed that he was more significant than his younger brother because of what he had done. He felt like he deserved real justice, which is the son, the younger son, being completely maligned and even stoned publicly, and that he should be lauded and celebrated, that the fatted calf should be for him to say, wow, my elder son is way better than my younger son. This fatted calf is for how amazing and awesome my elder son is. And listen to what he says to his father. He said, your brother is coming. He says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, he doesn't even own him as a brother. He says, look, this son of yours, I have no relation to this imbecile ever again in my life yet you call him a son so he must only be your son he's not my brother he's trying to have that judgment of cutting him off saying never will he have a part in my family ever again because of what he has done he's comparing his goodness to his brother now listen here's an interesting question that we must ask of the context of the passage before the brother has said anything he has done He tries to confess and he tries to share with his father what was going on in his life. And before he even finishes his prepared speech, the father embraces him, kisses him, and sends him into a party. The son has not yet told the story of his life, but the elder brother knows what was going on. The elder brother knew what was happening in the life of the younger brother. And here's the question we have to ask. How did he know? Well, he was watching his brother. He had people watching his brother. And it was partially because of this comparison. And I'm sure he was going to his father. Let's say his younger brother's name was Joshua. And he was going to his father and saying, Joshua just did this with the money. Joshua just did that with the money, Dad. Joshua's in all kinds of trouble, Dad. Joshua's a mess, Dad. And so when the son comes, he has been sharing with his father what the son had been up to. He had already reported all of the mess and the sin and the nature of his younger brother to his father consistently, patting himself on the back while beating his his younger brother up verbally. And so he knew the father knew what the son had done. And this is where he gets angry and he looks at his father and says, look you, this son of yours, he disrespected his father. You and I, in order to push away the flawed elder brother, we must care more about helping our brother get up than how you measure up. You need to care more about helping your brother get up than how you measure up. It could be really easy for us to look at our brother or our sister 
say, wow, they're a mess. I'm superior to them. Wow, look at, man, they've been sipping wine at their meals. I posted it on Facebook. I'm way better than them because I just don't do that. I'm such a better Christian because that person's still stuck in their addiction to cigarettes. And look, there they are outside smoking. Man, I'm such a better Christian. And we stand in judgment and say, how can they even be a believer doing that? Well, see, in those moments, we are just as lost as the younger brother. Because we are putting ourselves on a pedestal, talking about our superiority as we compare ourselves to another. Man, that is the elder brother's spirit through and through. Those of us who grew up in the church, we tend to be the best elder brothers. In our, in our hearts, we look at what other people are doing and we have this sense of superiority where we see our brother or sister fail or mess up and we say, we catalog that in our brains and say, wow, look at what they're doing. And we might even share that with our after church luncheon where we're saying, did you see? Did you hear? Did you know? My friends, that is A, keeping records of wrongs. Like we talked about before, that is B, that's gossiping. It's slandering someone's name, putting yourself above them and saying they are below you. And Jesus is here saying that is not how we are to care for our brothers and sisters. The elder brother knew what was going on in his brother's life and didn't seek to help or interfere by bringing him back at all. He knew the reports but didn't care because he wanted to measure himself against his brother. We might say that person deserves their punishment, but my friends, so do we. This was the greatest offense to the Pharisees because how dared Jesus insinuate that they were far from God when they were so holy and righteous? He's saying, you think you're so close you think that your proximity to God is closer than those who are messed up and sinners. He said, but I tell you, the access to the Father's presence is equally there. But you are still standing outside the door, not going in to the party. Man, I want to be in the party. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be with him as he celebrates the loss that was found. I want to walk alongside and I want to help bring my brother or sister into right relationship with God rather than standing in derision or standing in judgment against them. I don't, want to, I don't want to look at how I measure up. I want to see how can I help them get up rather than continue to push them down. The fourth key to avoid being the flawed elder brother is the key of loving obedience because we are to live obediently out of love and not fear. When the, when the elder brother talks to the father, he says, I've been serving you for so long. He uses the Greek word doulos, which means slave. He says, I have been your slave. I have worked so hard to please you. I have worked so hard, and you didn't even give me any little thing of celebration. You never praised me for anything, and I was a slave for you. And this son of yours, look he doesn't even call him father. He doesn't give him any type of respect. He's basically looking at him in the face and saying, look you, this son of yours, how dare you do this thing? I have been your slave. 
I have worked in fear. A slave, a doulos, would work in fear of being cut out or being whipped or being beaten. And so here he's confessing how he saw his father and how he saw his work for his father. It was done as a slave, one who is fearful of the retribution of the owner. But that's not the way we are to serve the Lord. Often we serve out of fear. God won't love me anymore. God won't think good of me. He'll only think ill of me. God is only going to bring judgment if I sin or mess up. He's going to make sure that everything's terrible in my life if I neglect to follow his rules. Rather than saying, I want to see the Father pleased with my life. I want to live in such a way that I have the aroma of Christ that the Father is pleased with me. I want to live out of love, not for love. Because when we have an understanding, a full capturing nature of the love of God, we can't help but live for Him. Keller says it this way, There is no joy or love, no reward in just seeing His Father pleased. Ultimately, elder brothers live good lives out of fear, not out of joy and love. Which leads me to the next key. The fifth key to avoid being the flawed elder brother is the key of security. We are to be secure in the reality that the Father loves and delights in you. Be secure in the reality that the Father loves and delights in you. The elder son, with how he approached and discussed his work for his father, shows his insecurity of actually being loved by his father. It's showing a display of insecurity. Saying, man, I worked so hard, you didn't even do anything for me. Do you even love me? Do you even care? Do you even, do you even understand what I've done for you? Do you even understand the sacrifice that I've given you and you don't even do anything for me? Here he's seeing this display of love and saying, man, I've never received any of that. Obviously, you don't love me. You must love this son of yours more than you love me, even though I've worked harder for love than they did, even though I've worked harder for your pleasure of, of praise. He didn't do it out of love. He feels he should receive more than his whoring, cheating brother. And here's what Timothy, Kelly, T- Timothy Keller says beautifully. As long as you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God through goodness, you will never be sure you have been good enough for him. You simply aren't sure God loves and delights in you. God wants you to be secure in his love and delight in you. You cannot control God's love. You cannot control God's grace. You cannot control God's reckless love where it looks reckless that this father would love this son. But you and I have done the same amount of offense. Whether we have this crazy testimony of coming out of drugs and addiction or whatever it may be, or we're church kids who came to Jesus at an early age, you and I have the same amount of lostness in our lives. And we can be lost and put our backs to the Father, or we can embrace His presence and say, yes, I'm going to join in. I know that I'm loved. And even though I've messed up, I know I'm loved. But we fear this 
conversation of our flaws and of our mess and we want to feel superior because then we don't feel so bad about our sin and we don't feel like we have to share it with other people. But you and I, the youngest brother and the elder brother, we are just as lost together. (laughs) We can join the party and be secure in his love for us. We've got to stop trying to control God through our goodness. One of the marks of an elder brother can also be seen in their prayer life. What are we praying for? Are we praying, controlling things for God? Make this happen. Please, I pray that you do this, do this, do this, do this. Or are we praying and saying, I just want to be with you. I'm not going to make any demands of you right now. I just want to be with you. Because the one who prays a list only seeks to control their environment while one who prays to deepen their walk is allowing God to control it. That doesn't mean that we don't have petitions. That doesn't mean that we don't ask the Lord for specific things. But what is our main goal when we go to prayer? Is it to be with God or is it to get God to get us to stuff that we're asking for? Some of the things can be really good as we ask for healing and we seek the Lord for his miraculous work in our lives or the lives of our lost children. But is our main goal what he could do for us or is our main goal to just be with him? And that brings me to the sixth and final key to avoid being the flawed elder brother. And that is the key of being. We are to be the faithful elder brother who goes after the younger brother. When we are transformed by the love of God, when we understand the fullness of what Jesus has done, we won't want to measure up to others. We want to get them up. We want to go after them. Once we're living out of the flow of God's love and presence, we will want to lavish that upon others, even if they don't, or maybe especially if they don't deserve it. One of the things that Timothy Keller brought in his book, Prodigal God, that kind of blew my mind that I never had seen before and never had read before was this reality that the elder brother was supposed to be the one who went after his younger brother. You see, in the parables before, there was something that was lost, and there was a shepherd that was looking for his sheep. There was a woman who was looking for her coin, and they pushed everything aside, and they went after this specific thing, the sheep or the coin, and then when they found it, they celebrated. Now, that would be normative, where they say, oh yeah, you lost the sheep, you want to go after it. When you lose a coin, you should go after it. But the question that's lingering around this parable is, who was supposed to be the one to go find the lost brother? Timothy Keller looks at at the cultural understanding and says the elder brother was his younger brother's keeper. He was to go after him. He was to seek to bring him back into relationship. He was to pursue his brother to help him get out of that lifestyle and bring him back into connection with the father, but he didn't want to. He wanted to compare. And Timothy Keller points out that Jesus was the ultimate elder brother because you and I are lost He came to earth to pursue us, to bring us into right relationship to the Father through his death and the power of his resurrection. You and I have the capability of joining the party, of being in the presence of the Father. Will we choose to? Will we choose to be like Christ and be the ultimate elder brother? Will we seek to be in the presence of God just for the love that he offers us, not for what he can give us? As the elder brother pursued the wealth and the lavish stuff that the father could give, will we pursue God for himself? And my prayer is that we may resolve to be the true, faithful elder brother 
May we let go of self-righteousness, comparison. May we accept the Father's invitation to the party. And may we live out of love, not fear. And that we could receive the whole weight of God's love. And may we, if necessary, repent of our motivations for our goodness. May we see that we are trying to control God rather than simply be loved by God and live in the goodness and the fullness of the Spirit out of understanding that we were living and working from love, not for love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is not an easy word, but it's one that I need to hear consistently because I know of my own predilection to try and be superior, to try and think of myself as better when I know Deeply inside of myself, I am not. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you'll bring conviction where conviction is needed. That you'll bring a a convincing where, where the convincing of transformation is necessary. May we walk in the fullness of your spirit and be transformed. May we be the son that goes into the party, the son that pursues those that are lost, and brings them to where the party is. In your name, amen.